Good evening, church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Colin, the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ. And this is Dan Spade. He's one of our elders. And here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at www.churchvictoria.com. This is our Wednesday evening conversation through the law and the prophets where we open up the Old Testament. We move through the narrative and the text and we see how it impacts us today as the church and how it how that text connects to Jesus. Um, if you're listening Listening to this on the Heart and Heads podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you have the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. And if you're watching this on Facebook, make sure to like and share. That really helps us out. And make sure to comment down below. Um, if this ministry has blessed you or you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, I want, I want to encourage you to head over to that website. At the top of the page, we have a donate button that uh, take, will take you to PayPal, and you can partner with us as we seek to teach and preach the gospel. Uh, we're going to pray and get into the lesson. Again, church, thank you so much for joining us. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity that once again we have to sit down and study your word and, and to... Uh, uh, bring it to the to our audience. We pray for them that uh, that you'd open their hearts and their minds, and that you'd help them, Father, to see the things that need to be seen, things that you want them to see, and things that you need them to hear. Father, bless Cole and I as we teach this. Uh, touch our hearts, touch our minds, and uh, and touch the the dialogue that comes out of our mouths. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we're in in Numbers fifteen, and uh, so we've left behind the. Their rebellion. We've mm -hmm. left behind the rejection of God. God has said, "You're going to wander this wilderness." And, and what we're going to see in Numbers is uh, we're not really going to see that 38 years pass by. You know, you would think that 38 years would provide lots of story. Um, it's really not. What we're actually getting into now is more legal code. You know, which of course, <laughs> ever since Exodus, about Exodus 19. You're, you've gotten really familiar with this form of literature, this constant kind of legal code mm -hmm. that's being given. But I, I just want to point something out. You know, we call the law of Moses a couple of different names. You know, we call it the law, the law of Moses. Um, then another name for it is the covenant at Sinai. And so kind of the kind of the, the feeling we get when we talk about it is that God gave all these laws at Sinai. He gave the law at Sinai and then they moved forward and they were done. And that's really not the way it worked. Um, God gave maybe the beginning of it. He gave a portion of it, a big portion of it at Sinai, but God left it open for him to continue to add to it. And, and we really see that. Uh, we really see that right now. What we see is God again, now in the book of numbers where they are wandering about and after they have rebelled, now God's like, okay, here's some more law mm -hmm. laws. And it really has nothing to do. Uh, it really has nothing to do with what we just read in 14, right? Now, after you in the land, I'm well, giving he, you he, as a home. You know, this is what he says in, in verse 2, right? Speak to the Israelites. After you enter the land, I'm giving you as a home. You mean the place we were just rejected? Like, it kind of just, it's almost like this disconnect. And, uh, you know, you need, you need, we need to be aware of that. You know, the point of numbers is not giving us a blow-by-blow -blow narrative account. No, it's not. And Genesis kind of makes you feel that way. Right. Genesis starts you off with that, with blow by blow narrative accounts of families. But we need to understand that once we get into numbers, once we get past Exodus 19, it doesn't really work that way. You have a lot of this giving of the law, this setting up this people to go into the land. The narrative does not consistently pick up until Joshua. 
So just just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know that a lot of it is God continuing to give His people laws, continuing to get. And we're going to get to a point in Numbers here where these these ladies come up and talk about, well, what about us? We can't inherit the land, and God's actually going to change something He's already said. And you're going to see that pretty consistently. God changes things for His people all throughout the history of Israel. There are some things that are constant. But some things that he changes. And so we need to be, we need to understand, we need to be really careful that when we talk about this law, we're using it appropriately. Um, there are some principles that have come out, or paradigm, well, principles and paradigms that people have pulled out of this section of the text that are just not accurate. You know? Oh, well, God's expectation is that we do everything exactly as he says. Really? I think, I think. Something we have to not miss here, especially in this first part, and we're not going to cover it all, but I think there's some things that we not, do not miss. That when they when the people do what they're told, mm-hmm. the way they're told to do it, mm-hmm. m- maybe not in a, in every detail, mm-hmm. but it is it is an aroma pleasing to God. Well, there's a there's and he, a, tell, and he says that yeah. numerous times here. So there's a foundation that God is laying. And we have to be very careful that we lay the foundation God wants us to lay. Mm-hmm. We're going to see, I mean, he's going to say in Ezekiel, we, we went and read that passage before. I gave you some laws because I knew you wouldn't be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I literally gave you laws that you couldn't do it. Why? Well, because I'm trying to teach you something, mm-hmm. right? And so we've got to be really careful, right? We want to stand on the foundation that God is laying. Christ jumps off that foundation New Testament. That's why New Testament is so important. We need to understand what said in the Old Testament, but then we need to allow Christ, who gave the law in the first place, yeah. the op- opportunity to interpret that. That's, wh- that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful. People look at the Sermon on the Mount and go, oh, well, this is kingdom principles for kingdom people. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Look no. at what he says. He says, you have heard that it's been said. Well, by who? By people. By whom? By yeah, by the Pharisees. Yeah. Not by Jesus. No. Jesus is the one who gave the law in the first place. Yeah. He says in Matthew, you've heard that it's been said. Well, he also says in Matthew chapter five, when he starts the Sermon on the Mount, he also starts off by saying this Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees if you want to enter the kingdom of God. So who is he talking about? Yeah. He's talking about what they're teaching. And he's pointing out all the, the inconsistencies and the problems with it. He what and what what are they teaching? It's, it's the, the law. Same, it's the same way today, Cole. We have a lot of people out there that take God's word and twist it to fit their narrative. And we don't want to do that. No, absolutely we, not. We've got to be very careful. Yeah. So when we're reading the law, we need to make sure that we're looking at it from the perspective of the culture that received it. We mm-hmm. need to look, we need mm-hmm. to make sure that we're being careful not to read into it. And to that end, look, he's gonna give all these laws. It didn't just and my point here is this. We've gone a far afield, but my point here really is this. The law of Sinai was not exclusively given at Sinai. It began at Sinai, mm-hmm. and God's going to continue to add to it. In Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law, that's what Deuteronomy means, right? The second law. Um, you're going to see Moses basically give the law again in totality to this people who are about to enter the land, because remember that whole generation died off. Yeah. So Moses is giving it again, retelling it again, and there are changes. There are tweaks. Well, why? Well, because they've been following God for 38 years now. So, well, maybe now there are some differences. Maybe there now there are some things we can do a little differently. And so there are little tweaks, little differences. Mm-hmm. But I want to point this out, and this is kind of a adjacent, talking about that foundation. What is the foundation that we ought to understand here? If you come all the way down to verse 30, there's this really, there's this really interesting. Actually, I'm going to start it in, in 27, right? But if just one person sins unintentionally, 
That person must bring a year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made, that person will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner residing among you. But look at what he says here. But anyone who sins defiantly, <coughs> whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. Because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands, they must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. And then we have this story about a Sabbath breaker who's put to death, where essentially that command is carried out. Okay. Can you think of somebody in the Old Testament, a prom maybe a prominent person oh, in yeah. the Old Testament, who sinned defiantly mm -hmm. before God? David. Well, let's think about David for a yeah. second here. What maybe. did David do? David committed adultery and murder. Mm -hmm. Is this what they did? No. <laughs> Look at that. That's odd. So why is this Sabbath breaker put to death but David who commits murder and adultery? And and let's let's be fair. Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men. Mm -hmm. Right? So this is I, I can't remember what at the end of what book. I think it's first chronicles or second chronicles. I can't remember which one. But at, at the end of one of the chronicles, or maybe in the middle. Um, it sits there and it lists out David's mighty men, the whole list. And Uriah the Hittite is one. So this was like David's buddy. For 12 years, they campaigned well, together. It, it's his, one of his bodyguards. Yeah. Ba well, ba basically. One of his buddies. Yeah. I mean, look, he calls him up. If you've ever been wondering why David can call up some random soldier, some rando, like, hey, you rando, why don't you come up here and, and, and check in? And nobody thinks that's odd. It's because it wasn't. This wasn't just David, one of, one of rando David's soldiers. This was a captain. Mm -hmm. This was a chief man. This was one of his elite men yeah. that he served with for 12. I, look, I've served in the military mm -hmm. and I've served in emergency medical services, right? And I... I understand this com camaraderie. I get it. Like, this is one of his guys. This is one of his people. I mean, you want to talk about the the solidarity of brotherhood. You're talking about someone who you're looking at. You're saying, we ride and die for, together. For, for, for people who may not know, Uriah the Hittite is the one who he, he had sex with, with, with that guy's wife. Well, right. That and she, so this is, this is a betrayal of the ultimate. Like I mean, the the level of betrayal here is unreal. It's like it's like one of us having having uh, relations with our best friend's wife. It's it's disgusting. It's appalling, mm -hmm. right? And of course, it's it's this is supposed to be David. This is supposed to be the guy. He's the king. He's the king. He's, he's he was handpicked. So and this is supposed to be a man after God's own heart. But then God comes in and says, "I have forgiven you your sin." What? So God violates his own law. <laughs> you see why we need to be careful about how we look at these laws and how we, we hold to them? Mm -hmm. We need to be very, very careful. The forgiveness of, of David. In other words, what you're saying is a legalist has a real problem. You're going to have a real problem. And I know lots of I know lots of Christians who like to say, well, well, Cole, you know, we've got to do what God says, exactly what he says when he says it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can get behind that. That that makes sense to me. And then we got to follow the exact examples that are given. No. Oh, uh, um, which ones? Which examples? Uh, now I have a little bit more of a problem. 
you know, because there's there's discernment necessary here. I have to be very smart with how I look at the Bible and how I look at things because it's real easy to get off into the weeds. Which example should I follow? The stoning of the Sabbath breaker or the forgiveness of David? Which which example? You, you see, it, it gets complicated. they don't okay. match. But then this is the worst one. You, you see the level of subjectivity in that, mm -hmm. that example? Okay. Then it gets worse. Well, and where the scriptures don't say anything, where the, that's 100% prohibitive. What? <laughs> what? That, uh, what? That, okay, so 100% prohibitive. Okay. Um, now I've got a problem because that's 100% subjective. Where are the scriptures actually silent? Scriptures don't, I, I, I can't help but notice that the word cocaine is not in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, and I, we're not supposed to do that, right? But just like cocaine is in the Bible, the word electricity isn't in the Bible. You need electricity to do what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So what is it prohibitive? Oh, well, that's not what I mean. Well, what do you mean then? What do you mean? If you're going to tell me that every time the Bible doesn't say anything at all, where it's completely silent, right? And it's, it's prohibitive. Then you need to be consistent in that view. In other words, it prohibits us from, from, from taking, from doing anything. From doing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then you need to be, because that's where a lot of people stand. A lot of people say, well, if there is not a positive command to do something, then I am completely locked and prohibited. Okay. That's fine, but I've noticed that you're not consistent in that viewpoint. That's fine. You can do that. Paul said to him who thinks it's sin, it is sin. So for you, it's it's sin. Mm -hmm. That's a serious thing. I'm not trying to downplay that issue. But what I'm pointing out is you're not consistent in the way you view the text. And you're not consistent in the in the standard that you claim. Because the Bible it is silent about a whole host of issues. Air travel. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say nothing about air travel. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say anything about electricity. It doesn't say anything about pews. It doesn't say anything about pulpits. It doesn't say anything about lighting. It doesn't say anything about TVs or projectors or it doesn't say anything about any of those things. So if you're going to claim that for any movement you make, you need a positive command, peace. That's fine. If that's what you want your standard to be. But Jesus talked about problematic standards. And he yep. said, the standard that you hold is the standard I'm going to judge you by. Yeah. So yep. we need to look. My appeal is this. You get into these, you get into these issues, and you start thinking certain ways. We we allow ourselves to come up with ways in which we interpret the text. Right? That there's a big word for it, but we look at. We need to be careful the lenses we use to interpret the text because you come across a passage like this, and this in it in by itself, when you pull this out and you ignore the rest of Scripture, does not explain King David. It doesn't explain King Saul. No. Why was God so, I mean, essentially, why did God let Saul reign for 40 years? Why did he do that? Perhaps, do you think it could be because God was giving Saul time to repent? Maybe. Yep. Could be. Don't you think that God maybe wanted that? Don't you think that God cares? the scriptures tell us. What about, about this, Saul, but it tells us. What about this Sabbath breaker? Why does God hold him when he doesn't hold other people? What's going on here? What is God teaching? You know, we, we, it need... looks to me like, you know, he's teaching them how serious the law is here, how serious it is that they be obedient and, and how, how he, how he views their defiance. You know, I mean, let's, let's read the story real quick. Okay. Verse 32. So God says this, and I want us to be thinking about King David while we're reading this story right. and all the th horrible things he does. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. 
Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron in the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's, let's get even more real. Jesus in the Gospels. What are the disciples doing? Walking through the field, harvesting grain. They're, they're rolling the grain in their hands. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees get upset. Seems to me like the Pharisees have a legitimate reason to get upset. This man's they were doing it on the Sabbath. They were doing it on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Same God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the same God. In fact, Jesus, I would argue, my my point of view when I look at the scriptures is take out the word Lord and put Jesus in. Because that's who it is. Mm -hmm. John says no man has ever seen the Father but the Son. They've only seen the Son. Okay, but Jesus is the Son. So this is Jesus. Right? This is Jesus communicating the will of God, the will of the Father, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Reconcile this for me. Why is this man put to death, but the apostles are applauded? <laughs> we need to be real careful here. We think, we think we are titans, biblical scholars. No. You get a brother or sister spouting off about how, well, oh, we need to be obedient. Obedient to what? We need to be real, real careful here because we can get into these weeds and... Uh, and can't find our way out. Now, we, now we're above our heads. Oh, and then we can't find our way out. We're drowning. Yeah. Because the lenses that we've approached these scriptures with it are, are the problem. It's not scripture. This is consistent. I have no problem with this whatsoever. This is consistent. But depending on the view <laughs> you come to the text with, <clears throat> you're going to have a lot of problems here. And if you don't think people aren't aware of these passages, you're mis you're sadly mistaken. Yeah, the atheists, are. atheists especially, are very well They're aware very of these aware passages. Of these passages yep. They use these passages all the time to point out to the trip God, Christians to up. trip Christians up, to have issues with, and then Christians are like, man, I, don't, I have no idea, you know? So what I would say is we need to be really, really careful. Hmm. We need to interpret. We can't lift any one thing up, right? I would also say that God's grace ultimately is his decision. I was thinking that a while ago. I said, you know, when we get so legalistic that we start that we start pulling text and we start and we start camping on certain things, we really take out the whole concept and idea of grace that God gives us what we don't deserve. God's going to do God's going to do this stuff called His way. There you go. And we're not going to always know what His way is and why it's right. It's just like your children. You know, I was watching your little son yesterday, last night. And which one? The the little one, Nathan. Uh, uh, Ethan, uh, Ethan, Ethan. Okay, the baby. And us, yeah. and and you know they, Jessica was sitting right in front of me, mm -hmm. and and he's he's diddling around, and she's she's playing fingers with him and stuff, and and uh, and all of a sudden he sees me, you know, and I'm singing back there, and he sees me. He's like this, and he man, he is trying to get to me, you know. It just and it was fun to watch him. Yeah. You know, Jessica and I were both laughing at him, uh, the way he was acting. And it was just, you know, and I, and I see our relationship with God. Yeah. It's the same way. We get so distracted by stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, she can go like this, and he and he's, and he's all focused on these fingers. And I'm just, it's just five fingers, dude. But he's a, he's a baby, you know, and... And we need to understand that God's looking for us to, to approach him like that baby. 
and see him from that perspective. And we still get in here and we start and we start analyzing, interpreting, and get people all torqued up, get people all off in the weeds ourselves. And now we're going, well, I don't know how to get back. So speaking about Ethan, you know, that that exact example last night had him on the bed and he's at a point in his crawling where he goes backwards rather than forwards. Uh-huh. And I had my my foot behind him because he's where it's on the bed and he's close, you know, he's closer to yep. the edge. He has no idea. He has no idea that edge is there. No, no clue, no concept of no. it whatsoever. No. no concept of danger, no concept of I mean, he's he's But how's he going to learn? Five, six months. How's he going to learn that concept? Well, certainly not letting him at 6 months fall. No, 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 no. But, but at some point he will. But we are in the same boat. Yes. Yeah. We are in the same we are totally ignorant. You know, this morning my car wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. And it's got me all torqued up. <coughs> and I am reminded that Guys. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, right? It's so, so torqued up that we were thought we were not mine the court this morning. That's how so, torqued up. Well, and of course, it's not just my car wouldn't start. No, it's this a has bunch been of, a legacy. There's, there, or there's I, been, I like that. Been, it's been a legacy. a legacy at this point, right? A legacy. So, so it's been my car, then my wife's car, then my the car leg- again. Legacy is like something that's been um, ongoing for your life. Right. Well, yeah, that's how it feels. <laughs> It's been about a month of this, and it's been both cars at this point. So it, it's been very frustrating. And, of course, I'm of course, not mechanically inclined. I think, I think inclined. the cars, you help them. Well, and so I'm not mecha- as people know, I'm not mechanically inclined. But, you know, I, a battery is a simple thing to change, or so I thought. You know, one fried up jumper cable set later and two different <laughs> batteries later. And it's not as simple as it seems. I'm totally lost here. It's not my cup of fortune. But... The, the point is I've been dealing this and it's not my expertise, right? This, this thing, I'm going to, we're going to get back into this in a second and I'm going to explain this. Okay. Cause this isn't complicated for me. This is my expertise, Yes, but the is. cars are not. What's God doing here? You know? And I know that's, that's really narrow here, but remember <laughs> Jesus says every hair on your head is numbered. Mm-hmm. So we are serving an infinitely personable God, an infinitely great God, but an infinitely personable God too. Right. He because he he has every hair on our head numbered. He knows all of our creations. He formed us in our mother's womb. Right. All of these passages that make it really clear that God is infinitely personable as well. So God knows I'm, I'm dealing with all this stuff. Well, God, what are you doing? Aren't I your servant? Aren't I doing all this stuff? You know, maybe it's like me with my baby. I've got my foot behind him. And he's sitting there kicking off my foot, getting annoyed that my foot is there. No idea the pit that he's saving me from. No. Is that what God's doing? Maybe. The Hebrew writer says to consider all trial. And it's a small thing. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I get it. But consider all trials. Discipline. Discipline. Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't say they are disciplined. No. He says consider it discipline. Consider it. Look at it from that perspective. Why? Because God disciplines those he, whom he loves. Do I have things in my life then, that I need to be disciplined that for? Text, at that end, in that text, he's talking about the training. Yeah. That will be trained right. in peace and righteousness. James it will says, have a harvest of peace and righteousness. From the same perspective, James says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Now, again, this is super light. I get that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it teaches us perseverance. You know, is this frustrating? Is it annoying? Sure. Is it the worst? No, it's not. We've got people who've gone through much worse. But what's the point? Consider it discipline. Consider it joy. We are in, informed. Not that it is joy. Not that it is discipline, but consider it. Look at it from that perspective. Why? Because your faith is going to grow, because God is growing you. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the good that God is bringing in these various things is you get to grow up in your dependence on God. Yeah. We look here, come back to this text. This text, when we look at it with David comparing, we see what's said here. We think about David in the future. We think about Saul in the future. And then we read this passage where this person is not shown the grace of God. He's given judgment, right? Right. 
And then we think of the, the, the apostles in the future and it's the same God and it's a different answer. What is going on? We don't know this man's heart. No. He, why is he out there gathering? In all, in all of God what said, we're given. God gives a glimpse of his heart. Well, in all of that, all now, look what he says. A man of sound gathering wood on the Sabbath. That's all we're told. We don't know anything else about this man. But he, but he says, but he says up here, uh, where did he say it? But anyone who sins defiantly, back up to verse 30. That we uh, I see first, what you're saying, yeah. You know, this was, you know, God's looking at this guy and said, this is defiant. But sin. wasn't David defiant? But, but, but David's heart was different. Well, so and so and so this is and the you're, I think you're right and the apostle's heart is different too right mm -hmm. and this is where I'm going with this we're not told in this passage specifically you connected a dot back to the passage we just read and mm -hmm. I'm going to connect it further mm -hmm. what have we been dealing with all since Exodus since God delivered his people well, what have we what been we, dealing what with? we're dealing with in chapter 14 what has just happened rebellion Re and God what is what was God's response I will kill every single one of you. Well, he, he didn't forgiveness, say huh? forget I'm gonna forgive him, but I'm also gonna judge. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm both. I am a God of grace, but I'm also a God of judgment. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it's the same thing here. This man who's gathering wood on the Sabbath, what are some educated guesses we can make? As you already said, you already did it. Perfect. He's defiant. He is defiant. Mm -hmm. He is he is not just going out and gathering wood. Right? He That's said, not I don't what care he's what doing. He's going, I don't care what God says. I do not trust God to give me the things I need. Well, they've said that in, in unison. Numerous times. It, but they said it in unison together. Since Exodus, this has been, since God delivered, I mean, think about it. God rescues these, even when God, God shows up at the beginning of Exodus through Moses. Uh -huh. And Moses says, I am here, God of our fathers, I'm going to deliver you. And the people go, yay! Mm -hmm. And then they go to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, no. In fact, mm -hmm. more work. They, then the people, right, who get more work go, your God has abandoned us. Immediately. Immediately. Every hardship, every step of the way, <laughs> the people have refused to believe God. Well, they get delivered, right? And they get to the, the, the water and they go, oh, what are we? do is horrible right there's a pillar of fire and smoke running around plagues like never before been seen they get to the edge of a beach and they go we're done we're cooked yeah. they get on the other side there's no food there's no water who wants to kill us it's a it's a drama yeah with these people every three seconds anything that comes along and, it's not, and, and you know we have a guy getting wood on the, on a day he's told not to what is, defiance is and then you're going to have Cora and Dathan and Abram and you know, are going to continue it, it just it never stops never stops. but God's already told them this is the judgment I'm placing on you yeah every single one of you over the age of 20 will die that's right I'll so kill every one of you here he goes and I'm going to give this land to your children persisting and we've seen nothing but persistence in rebellion not just defiance not just yeah. you know I, I messed up and I'm doing the wrong thing that's not what we're talking about. No. We're talking about someone who knows the word of God, who has seen the work of God, and says, I don't trust you anyway. I don't care. I don't trust you. I'm going to trust myself. I think that's myself. why Jesus said in Matthew 7, be very careful how you judge people. Yeah. How you look at them, because you don't know their heart. And God said, and that's where you said, God said, and because the same measure you use, right. I will use on you. Now, we need to be careful. Because he also tells us, you'll know them by their fruit. He also tells us, it's got, Jesus does not say, don't judge and leaves it, leaves it at that. That's a misconstruction, right? And I'm not saying you're saying that, but critics say that all the time. Well, who are you to judge? Well, wait a minute. Jesus said, 
Jesus absolutely told us to use righteous judgment. And we have to inspect fruit. To inspect fruit. Inspect fruit. That's a form of judgment. We say yeah. inspect fruit yeah. because we don't want to say judgment, but it is judgment. But that's We're what Jesus judgment said. Calls. He said you have to look at the fruit. Now, we are not in any way authorized to preach condemnation, to look at someone and go, you are going to be condemned. You're done. There's no hope. And we're, even, not, we're not ever told we And even that. John the Baptist came along and said, you guys need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're going to say you repent, then produce the right so kind of fruit. So what's the difference between this person, the apostles, and David? The blatant disregard for God and his rules and his, and, well, and you, his defiance. You could make the argument that that's exactly what I don't David think so. was. Uh, well, and while you can make the argument, yes, you can. I disagree. Because David has demonstrated, David falls from a very high yes. place. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of texts that come before David, before Beth, the Bathsheba incident. And in those texts, David is literally standing in the place of God. He looks at Mephibosheth, someone who has the right to rule. In, in the ancient world, he is of the it bloodline of Saul. Throne. It's his throne. It's he is he is the last descendant of King Saul. And David says in this, he goes in the, in the NIV, it translates it this way in second Samuel. He says, is there anyone left of, of Jonathan's household of Saul's household that I can show kindness to? And I hate that because that word kindness, it means, is such, it, it means the, the word in the Hebrew, and I'm going to use it because I think it is a word that we should know. It's chesed and it's this beautiful, fragrant, loyal, covenantal love. What covenant? Does, da does, does King David have with the household of Saul? It's well, a covenant it was, it of was, death. Yeah, it was a it's covenant. A co yeah. Now, he's made a covenant with Jonathan. He has to, yeah. to take care of one another because David had that love for Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And so David is like sitting here basically putting his own throne in jeopardy, putting but, himself but in jeopardy. David did not create the covenant of death. No, Saul, Saul did. did. Saul did, Saul right. Did. But what David has constantly been doing is, is pursuing what is good for King Saul. Yes. Right? Just like God, I mean, David, it's this beautiful picture. So David, when God says, David is a man after my own heart, he literally ends up at the, at right before his fall, standing in the place of God, doing the things that God is doing. That's what we're supposed to understand. And then what happens? This man succumbs to the same rebellion that was present in the garden. He succumbs, he falls, the serpent in a very real way takes another one out. Mm -hmm. That's what you're supposed to understand from that story of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And yet, how does God respond to this fall, to this horrible climactic event with grace, the way he has always responded? These Israelites have grumbled 10 times, mm -hmm. 10 times against him. And he has responded time and time again with grace. And even here, he's responding with grace because what is he saying? He's looking at these people in the rebellion and he's saying, yeah, you're all going to die out here. I have forgiven you, but you're all going to die out here. Your bodies are going to litter this grand ground over the next 38 years, but your children, I will show them mercy and they will take the land. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. So when we look at the scriptures from, a, from, from the, the worldview that, God is giving us. And, and we have no excuse, guys, because Jesus has come in. And I'm speaking exclusively to the church here. We have no excuse. Jesus has come in and helped us to understand the Old Testament. Yeah. He's given us the found. What is the foundation of the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with everything you've got and, and love, love your, your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. yourself. So we've got to use that lens when we are reading through this law. Mm -hmm. What is God doing and how he's, how he's doing it? And way too often... I see brothers or sisters who want to either jump to one extreme or the other. Mm -hmm. 
and they want to end up pitting the scriptures against themselves. And we and we need to make sure that we're not doing that. We need to use sound I've, judgment. I've seen I've seen families, churches, uh, whole whole systems torn apart because uh, because they can't find a place in their heart for grace and mercy in their hearts. They can't find a place to love in spite of because. And, and we'll talk about that more and more and more as we go along. But I've seen it happen too many times. Within our tradition, that is certainly the case. But we can look at other traditions of Christianity and we can see where heresy has come in mm. because we don't define love the way God yeah. does. No, you're right. You're right. And so but I, it's still a lack of love. It's still a lack of love. Still a lack of love. And it's all legalism. Yeah. All right. We good? Yeah. You got out what you wanted to get out? Yeah, we're going to jump into we're going to jump into the tassels, uh, the tassels verse tassels. thirty-seven. We'll make, we'll get through fifteen okay. really sixteen quick. really quick. All right, let's pray, guys. Yeah, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the power of the word. Father, help us as we as we navigate through it to find out how how you approach and and what you do and how you see us. Father, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your watch and your care over us. We're grateful for your grace and mercy. Help, Father, we ask that you teach us how to love each other as we strive to love you in return, Father. Bless us in everything that we do. Help us to see the world the way you see them. Help us to love them the way you love them. And thank you for the opportunities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.